Hey everyone, Anthony Fantano here, Internet's busiest music nerd, and you are listening to the latest episode of the Needle Drop Podcast, where we do interviews from artists and content creators with artists and content creators from around the internet. And in this episode, star of stage and screen, also <laughs> rapper and musician. And he's a uh, he's I've done an interview with him before, but now we're sort of doing it solo. Mr. Davi Diggs, how you doing, dude? I'm pretty good, man. I, I, I went a little old school with this. Star of stage and screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, I, I thought that <laughs> it was great. It was, uh, just throwing it back a little felt, bit. Felt like Child and Heston or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, it's It's been a while, and a yeah. lot has happened since we last talked. I believe our last conversation was was shortly after Clipping came out with kind of their first mixtape, I believe. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. And then you guys got signed to Sub Pop. You dropped that follow-up record. Right. And uh, since then, you have uh, landed on a bill of what essentially right now is pretty much the hottest thing on Broadway, uh, the new Hamilton musical. Yeah. Wherein you play two characters. Correct. Uh, So fill me in a little bit on how you sort of came to be involved in this project, because something we didn't really go over in our last talk, I I don't think, at least not in depth, is that, uh, you know, you have a pretty intensive theater background uh, uh, as well. Um, You know, I I believe uh, you've been in a number of uh, sort of productions and uh, you've also done uh, uh, advertisements as well, one of which I believe you wanted me to sort of keep under wraps for a little while, (laughs) Um, uh, like just before the release of the second clipping record uh, where you played a, a great producer by the way, uh, thank um, you. in, in sort of that Austin Mahoney commercial, I believe yeah, yeah. where you were yeah, super I convincing. Think, um, I thought so. You I seemed thought it was some of my best work. You, you seemed really co- like concerned with, with him sort of jumbling the words of the song up with like breakfast foods. <laughs> it was, it was really, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a really intense scene. It was kind of high drama. Shout out to Austin for being such a, such a really fantastic actor. And, and recently after, uh, you know, you sort of pointing me in the direction, I've caught you in a few, uh, law and order episodes as well. Yeah. Those are our recent developments. Yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, you know, tell me a little bit about your acting background now and, and then from there, you know, sort of how you, uh, happened to be in this Hamilton musical. Word. Well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been acting for a very long time, um, mostly in plays, and I, I sort of was a was a very reluctant theater major in college. Mm. Um, I went to Brown, which meant that I swore I was gonna like create my major and do some really like cool like hippie arts and education like activism thing. And then I looked around and it had finished the theater major already because I just liked taking silly acting classes. So uh, that became what I did <laughs> and um but that, that was never my intention but I I, ha- I was always like doing plays and stuff I'd done them in high school I did them in college and then I went back to Oakland after college and uh kept doing them I managed to sort of piece together a living doing that between that and like teaching poetry classes mm. um in middle schools and stuff but uh yeah, I was doing a lot of theater in the Bay, and um, then, you know, I, so when I moved to Los Angeles, though, after, um, which is sort of when I started, when Clipping really started taking form, was until, like, 2012 when I moved down to Los Angeles, um, or 2011, I guess, um, 
but I moved there and like, I am really not good at uh, auditioning for commercials <laughs> and things like that. Um, basically like I had done a bunch of plays in the Bay area and nobody knew who I was. And like there, no one was really interested in representing me. Um, except I could get a commercial agent. It's very easy to get a commercial agent. You, if you show up and you can like read um, at like a fifth grade level, you can probably get a commercial agent. So I did that. And I was basically like the extent of my acting work was auditioning for commercials. Uh, so I was really like focused on this clipping stuff because <laughs> um, that was way more fun. And I was working with two of my best friends and we were making stuff that we thought was really dope. Hmm. Um, so acting just kind of took a backseat and I, I would audition, you know, when I, when I could get around to it. Um, and then we started touring about, you know, like, so you sort of know the, the clipping history. So yeah. those albums came out and we started touring a bunch and that was, that was cool. Meanwhile, I had also been hit up by uh, a mentor of mine from back in the Bay area, Mark Bamuti Joseph to, to sort of concurrently be touring, a piece that he had written called Word Becomes Flesh um, that was like a story. It, it initially was a solo performance piece of his that he toured all around the world in 2007, um, but he reimagined it for a group of five black men. It was this sort of choreo poem thing. Um, so I was also doing that. So basically I lived on the road a lot. Um, and while I was doing that is when I got hit up by... Um, Tommy Kale, the, the director of Hamilton, to to come out and be in a reading um, of Hamilton. And so the the backstory of that actually, we have to go back to the Bay Area for a second. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah. What's what's the story behind that connection? So um, Lynn and Lynn Manuel, who who wrote the show, and Tommy um, are are both part of this thing called Freestyle Love Supreme. Uh, that they sort of formed while they were at Wesleyan, but um, uh, ha had become like a, uh, imagine sort of like a, a faster, like more theatrical wilding out, or maybe less theatrical, I don't know. It feels a little more like a concert, but also like the, it, there seems to be like more acting going on. Hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and it's live and entirely improvised mm -hmm. um, and but all in all in verse and so anyway um, I became a part of that group because another founding member of that group named Anthony Veneziali and me were both called to substitute teach the same class in Marin County due to some clerical error uh, and we uh, so we were both there so we just fucking team taught this class and I gave him a ride home um, and he was like, you know, we were talking about rapping and talking about acting. And he was like, oh, we do the same things. Hey, I, I work with these people. Um, he was trying to found a West Coast version of this group called The Freeze. Um, and so I became a part of that. And then uh, while being a part of that, Freestyle of Supreme, which is based in New York, when they couldn't fill a whole performance, which happened often because uh, In the Heights was on Lynn's last play in the Heights was on Broadway at the time. So like often performers couldn't make it. So they would fly me out to do these, these freestyle shows. Hmm. Um, so that's how I know those guys is really through this, this weird, like freestyle theater hybrid thing. Um, and sometime in the midst of doing a word becomes flesh tour, 
Freestyle of Supreme calls and has me come out to the Super Bowl when it was in New Orleans to uh, rap on Sports Nation about sports celebrities <laughs> live in the week leading up to the Super Bowl. You can watch these clips on YouTube. They're not good. Oh, my God. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, so we do this gig and um, it was really fun. You know, the, these are great guys and it's always a good time. Uh, and, and that gig, I was in a moment in my life where I wasn't saying no to anything that paid money. And while we were there, um, Tommy mentioned this musical, this new thing Lynn was writing and asked, would I come out, uh, to Vassar to do a reading of that, um, in like a month. And I said, sure, send me the stuff. And, uh, he sent me the music and I'd never done a musical before, but, uh, I did, you know, I, I listened to, these were like Lynn's sort of crappy demos of all of the songs that he had written so far. And they were so smart. Um, and so like, sort of fulfilling even from a from a rapper perspective you know you, you hear this idea of like hip-hop theater sometimes and it just makes you cringe yeah. particularly if you if you do the rap thing for real because you just you just know it's gonna be bad yeah um and well, this wasn't I, I, I guess i guess uh <laughs> it, the whole concept of hip-hop theater while it obviously this isn't the first this isn't the inception of it right here like you just said, sort of the idea of these two worlds kind of colliding does elicit a cringe, just like you said, or it could. Um, I guess, uh, in what way were these demos kind of succeeding where previous efforts that you had seen were kind of failing? Uh, well, I think because nothing was forced. You know, mm. it, it's it, this is interesting to say and being part of clipping, but like there is... Rap is about authenticity, right? I mean, sure. it's about the presentation of authenticity. Um, so even even with clipping where we don't use the first person at all, like that was a that that choice is made actually to elicit a greater feeling of authenticity because this is, makes it easier for us to participate in the kinds of rap music we're making. Um, so like I think that's why you get that cringe because when you're smashing these two worlds together, it feels like the rapping is going to be a gimmick. Um, it feels like it's going to be something to get the kids in the seats and like do it, you know, but, hmm. uh, but when I heard these demos, you know, Lynn is a good rapper. He's a really good rapper. Um, he's a great writer and he's also just a, a super musical theater head. Uh, and he was so also enamored with his subjects. He, he read this biography of Alexander Hamilton and totally like, fell for him so uh he wrote this thing that was so everything about it was good it was like technically good the story was really engaging and interesting uh and it and it and none of it felt forced it all felt like really honest and not like uh rap was being used as sort of a uh, uh, as a gimmick but instead it was the only way that he could figure out to tell this story about a guy who who wrote his way off of off of the island that he lived on and consequently like wrote his way into success and into ruin hmm. um so it's really like rap music is used because it's the best way to tell the story um along with a lot of other kinds of music that's the other thing about it is like you know all the press around it says that it's a rap show but it just it just has a lot of rapping in it but there's tons of jazz there's tons of like super just show tune yeah pan alley feeling stuff there's i mean it's it's all over the place a lot of r&b music a lot of and his reference points were always 
whatever that particular song needed. So yeah, it's like musically, it's if you listen to the cast recording, it's really a mix of everything. Right. 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 Um, yeah, I mean, I think in previous uh, sort of attempts to incorporate the sounds of hip hop into musical theater, maybe there kind of would have been a feeling of of maybe the person writing the song being sort of out of touch and then sort of incorporating that just as an attempt to get the kids in the seats, like you said. But hip hop's at a point now where it's it's not as young as it used to be. Exactly. And, you know, you have these classic records that people hold as in high regard as like Nirvana's Nevermind or something. You right. know? And and now hip hop isn't just, you know, the language of the young generation. It's kind of a part of the modern mainstream vernacular you know so in a way it sort of seems like this is coming at a very appropriate time where even people who are in that 30 40 50 year old range who you know might typically go to a broadway show are familiar with the idea of hip-hop they're familiar with the concepts behind hip-hop um so so what they may be seeing on stage because you guys take a lot of the hip-hop vernacular to incorporate uh that into the lyrics of the show you know you're not Mm -hmm. like talking as if you know it's uh uh, the 1700s or the 1800s, right? You know, right, right. Uh, it's it's a very um, modern feel to the language of the show. So you know what what's being said on stage isn't really alien to anybody, and the juxtaposition of the new and the old in the story is is very obvious and, and kind of humorous. Right. Well, and I think also that was part of the point was to it, in order to really care about these characters, which we've you know how many times have you learned something about George Washington and forgotten it immediately? The idea was like to to make them feel contemporary, to make them feel like somebody you know. Um, and and you're right, hip hop is everywhere, and and whether you consciously are a, a hip hop fan or not, like you listen to it, there's nobody you can't tell me you've never heard a rap song, you know. Sure, uh, yeah, abs- at, this point, at this point, at this point, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's uh, to sort of detour for a quick second. It's just sort of funny to 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 see that that's sort of where the current state of hip hop's relevancy is, because it seems like now at this peak of of hip-hop's relevance where it's really everywhere it seems like everybody has access to it uh most people have at least you know a baseline grasp of of what uh, to expect when someone tells them they're going to hear a hip-hop song mm-hmm. um simultaneously there's also like this movement of people within the community who sort of come off like purists and you know sort of want to maintain the status quo and and that means sort of saying who can participate who can't what can or can't be said uh yeah. just kind of in a, a weird attempt to sort of hold on to what they grew up with in terms of hip hop. But, but now as it's grown and things like this, uh, production that you're involved in have occurred, um, you know, the whole, the whole landscape is changing. Right. It's true. I mean, but I, I think actually like, you know, our production is pretty like great for like, for like those nineties rap purists, you know, sure. that was really Lynn's golden era. And that's the stuff that he's, he's referencing and writing about, mm. Uh, but I, I I agree with you that um, you know the the landscape is changing and continues to change and I think but it, it's so funny like you know for folks who don't participate in it like if you're not making rap songs or any kind of music like generally right the best music for you is the music you were listening to when you were like in your late teens and early twenties like sure that's, that's like what you're the most nostalgic for yeah that's that's when it should stop. 
So, like, <laughs> that's so, when what should stop? That's that's when that's when rap music should stop. Is when you were <laughs> when whenever you were like eighteen, you're like, yeah, that's the golden age of hip hop right there. Okay. Like everything after that is crap. You yeah. know, like uh, which of course is garbage. Um, <laughs> we would we would all be really upset if it, if it stopped. Hmm. Um, but okay. you know, yeah, you yeah, got yeah. it. Those are the things that make you feel young and powerful, hmm. and and like that's. That's what you go back to. Considering that hip hop is is so um, the 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 roots of it, uh, especially throughout the '90s, are sort of based in those young and powerful feelings. Um, you know, and and rock obviously went through this phase as well. Um, you know, do you see the genre sort of gracefully uh, transitioning into this era where uh, it, it might be able to move away from some of those feelings, or maybe incorporate more? ideas in the mainstream from artists who are taking kind of a a softer approach i mean i think it's already happening in a sense with people like drake you know being as popular and as relevant as he is who you know widely acknowledges the fact that he's not the hardest rapper right yeah i think um you know the the hip-hop in general has always been such a wide open genre Mm. there's always been everything in it but in terms of like what the mainstream is accepting um it tends to exist on this on kind of a pendulum right like we we uh we get really hard for a second and then it sort of swings back the other way and we get our you know we get our jiggy era we get our (laughs) we get our uh our our, you know softer stuff and then it's gonna swing back and we we get some more gangster app and now we're sitting in the middle of a drake phase and it's it's pretty soft and we'll you know maybe it'll swing back the other way but i do think um you know the the internet and access to all different kinds of music and like the different ways that artists have to gain popularity is sort of helping to make the the mainstream uh image of the genre a little bit wider a little uh, more all-inclusive than than it ever has been um because you, you look like guys like Earl Sweatshirt too, who's like such a great rap and is enjoying like some amount of mainstream. I mean, certainly not a Drake, but you know, mm-hmm. uh, there is there is certainly room in the in the mainstream consciousness for a guy like like Earl. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if more people like him were to come out, hip hop could sort of work itself through sort of the '90s introspective, depressing grunge phase that. <laughs> <laughs> that that rock had going for a little yeah. while, um, you know. I I think rap sort of went through its era of uh, of sort of hard rock hair metal excess, uh-huh. and 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 now and now it's due for you know some sad introspective, sort of really depressing, sort of yeah. reflective reflective music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think there's 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 certainly a lot of good stuff in that world out there. Um, you know, I think, um, yeah, we'll just, we'll always need all of it. You know, mm. the the thing about rap music is it's, it, it's still one of its main functions is always, I think, going to be like as a party soundtrack. And like, I, you know, I, I still don't like to party to sad music, but I'm old. So, you know, maybe that's, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's not <laughs> that's not for me anymore. I'll just keep listening to my my like early two thousands hyphy songs and um, 
you know, and every and every every party the kids are going to will be like real sad. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, uh, okay. So, so one more question about, about, I guess, the concept of this before we go into more specifics about, you know, sort of your role in the show. Um, mm. You know, I, I believe I caught a clip of you online talking about how uh, uh, you're getting your reparations by doing this show. <laughs> is it? Is is that true? Is did, did I hear that right? It's a good. Li- I mean, it's a, it's the way I ended my BT cipher verse. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Okay, so playing these dead presidents, I'm getting my reparations. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> good line. So, uh, so you know, give me your point of view and your opinion on basically, you know, the, this whole idea that you're using uh, what's essentially a modern black art form to sort of express this story or take part in expressing this story about, uh, I guess this very old and this very white part of American history. Yeah. Well, I think the, the thing that comes up for me all the time is that it actually is not a white part of American history that, mm. you know, black people were around all the time, of course. In fact, building yeah. just about everything that we're talking about in the show. Yep. Um, and I think one of the things that the show does in a really cool way is is sort of allows that narrative of that that this country was built by these people to still exist, but in this very subversive way, put black and brown faces at the forefront of it mm. um, and black and brown music at the forefront of it. So as opposed to as opposed to having this this fight about who really built the country which is which is a thing that you know we like to yell about all the time um but doesn't um you know the thing about lynn and the thing about this show is is it's very it's patriotic it is a pro-america show it's about it's about sort of the greatness of the democracy that we created when it's at its best and how it has room for disagreement and how when it when it is working um it it encourages argument and is imperfect and is always being fixed and tinkered with. Um, so it, it, it keeps that narrative and just puts people of color at the forefront of it. Hmm. And, um, you know, I get so many tweets from kids, <laughs> from kids now, like looking at, you know, who are, who are tweeting statues of, of Jefferson or whatever, and being like, you know, SMH, this doesn't look anything like W Diggs, <laughs> uh, or whatever, which, is you know for me as a human being pretty weird but uh i think there's a, there's a certain amount of of significance to that that i think is important that i sort of wish i had had when i was 13 hmm. i kind of wish um you know my 13 year old like theater nerd self would have been able to see this show um because it it it, it, it opens the world up a little bit you know um and it's you know, at the time when our president is is who our president is, and and this world should be opened up, and it gives it. Certainly, when I started working on it, it gave me a sort of sense of ownership over the story of the of the founding of this country and this democracy that I didn't have before. Hmm. So I I I do hope that it is operating that way for for sort of younger folks. Um, and uh, the, these feelings of. Um patriotism and the inner workings of our democracy that you're sort of talking about that are reflected in the play, uh, you know, are these feelings that you personally feel like you have even in 
the midst of this very chaotic election season that that we're having? Yeah, I don't know. That's a really complicated question. <laughs> I, uh, it, you know, I I think I have them in in this really idealistic sense in the in the sense. Uh, that we all approach it when we go to work and work on this this play you know um i do i do you know believe in people in general you know like i'm, I'm a pretty optimistic person as far as i think i i tend to think people are good hmm. so um and i think um the, there is an idea about how america works that could really capitalize on that i don't in practice, I think that almost never happens. And I think there are, there are so much, you know, there is a, there is such a, a history of, um, of like beyond slavery and, and everything just of abuse, <laughs> um, to minorities and women and, you know, um, it, that I, uh, it's pretty easy to be pessimistic about. Um, and then, yeah. And then you listen to, you know, you listen to Trump rhetoric and get, you get even more depressed and, and all that. Um, but, you know, I think, I think somewhere in there, it still exists for me. Um, I still, I still like living here. I feel like every election season, I I start to be like, oh man, if such and such wins, we're got moving to Canada or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's the that's what everybody says every time. Right, but but, but I, I mean, like- it's I, as scary as it can be. Uh, simultaneously, I feel like this dissonance is just kind of a natural part of the process of letting everybody sort of have their own opinion. You yeah. know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's you know, and I think one of the things. It, we also we love to look at the 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 poles of it we love to look at the like the most extremes on either side oh yeah um, which the internet but, sort of indulges that right desire everything does. so much I mean, you know a, yeah, yeah i think uh you know if, if, if it weren't for the internet kind of amplifying and platforming um the most polarizing views on both sides of the aisle. You know, I, I don't think people like Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump would be as prominent as they are uh, in this election. You know, it would, it would, we'd, right. we'd essentially be talking a Hillary Ted Cruz election already, you know, right. uh, but now there are sort of these loud voices on both sides of the aisle that can't really be ignored. Right. Um, yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think the majority of the country is actually much more centrist around most issues than, you know, we we are allowed to imagine hmm. <laughs> um but i also you know i've also only ever lived on the coast so what do i know <laughs> all right um so you know going into uh the characters that you play in the show um and uh, sort of using to springboard uh from that the, the story that you told of uh uh, of that, you know, some of the kids sort of messaging you pictures of Jefferson and so on and so forth, and maybe being a point of, of, of inspiration for, uh, some of these young kids, um, you know, give us an idea of, you know, what you personally do in the show with your character and sort of, you know, how you feel about the role that you play and sort of how you feel it reflects on you, uh, as an actor and the message that you think that your character sends uh, within the overall story. Word. Uh, well, so in the first act, I'm playing the Marquis de Lafayette, who um, 
I certainly didn't know anything about before I started working on this show. Yeah. But, uh, you know, um, left at, at, at 19 years old, left France and came to the U.S. to fight in, in the revolution, in the American Revolution, which a lot of people, which was kind of a thing in France. Um, the idea of American democracy was really sexy. Um, the French were trying to work out their own ideas about, about having a revolution and, and starting a democracy there. And, and the America was a little bit further along in the process. So, um, people were leaving to go join the terrorist sect in America. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I got it. Um, so we, uh, yeah, so Lafayette comes over and and um, meets George Washington and and ends up becoming a really great general um, and really like became an American hero um, after after the war and after you know the the French Revolution too. He comes back and is like thrown ticker tape parades everywhere he goes and women are wearing gloves with his face on them. You know, like he was like. <laughs> He was a real like, you know, like, like superhero on a lunchbox type dude. Hmm. Um, like, uh, yeah. So, so he's he became this kind of celebrity. But when we're when we're meeting him, he's young and just sort of trying to figure it out. And over the course of the first act, we sort of see him become a general in in the ways that it relates to to Hamilton's story of also becoming George Washington's aide de camp. Um, uh, and eventually the secretary of the treasury. Hmm. So, um, but yeah, Lafayette, I think, um, in this show sort of embodies that kind of idealism, um, and this kind of, uh, and this, this sort of ideal that, that I think America still preaches and doesn't, and, and it clearly doesn't practice very much about, um, this is a place where anyone can come and be what they want to be. Sure. Um, so, you know, Lafayette comes here with these dreams of being a general and does just that and, and works his ass off and impresses everybody in the process. And, and, um, but he is, you know, he's French, uh, and, and Hamilton does the same thing. They have this great line, uh, towards the end of the first act immigrants, we get the job done, which gets like, a great response every night, yeah. um, <laughs> given our political climate, right? Sure, but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it, so he's sort of embodying this this sort of ideal of America, where you know this this place is for everyone, and and um, immigrants who come here are, are the ones building it, are really the ones doing the work and building it and shaping it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second act, I come back, so. Lafayette leaves and goes back to France to to deal with his own revolution, and uh, I come back as Thomas Jefferson, um, who has been in France for the entire duration of the war, never had to had to fight in the war at all. Um, he's been just hanging out in France, being a rock star because he was like a symbol of American democracy, uh, and he comes back and is uh, just made Secretary of State. Like just a letter just shows up from George Washington. You're the first Secretary of State, dude. You didn't have to do anything for it. You're awesome. <laughs> uh, and this kind of, and we learn all this in in Jefferson's sort of entrance song, which is this sort of jazzy, 
like throwback jazzy number called what did i miss hmm. uh and he uh he, that sort of epitomizes to me who jefferson is right just the most privileged has just been handed everything a really smart guy and and in our version of him a really charismatic guy as well but uh but like has never had to work for anything. And in fact, like when we meet him, he's just being wheeled around by his slaves. Like he barely touches the ground that whole number. So, um, uh, so then he, he goes up again, he starts going up against Hamilton in cabinet meetings and Hamilton sort of represents everything that he doesn't. Um, Hamilton has worked for everything. Hamilton is, you know, and they also differ on, uh, most things, um, specifically, you know, who, uh, this idea of like paying off the war debt, um, this idea of, of slavery, hmm. which Hamilton was always a staunch abolitionist and Jefferson was absolutely not. Uh, so you're kind uh, of the heel at this point in the, uh, in yeah, the production. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, yeah. Jefferson becomes basically a villain. Um, and, um, and, you know, ends up being for a long time sort of a foil to Hamilton, who sort of wins at every turn and then eventually becomes a foil to Burr as well. Um, but, yeah, I think the for me, the the takeaway from uh, for Jefferson is just like that this kind of, you know, he wrote some things that are. I mean, he wrote the Declaration of Independence. He wrote some documents that that I think most of us, even like most liberal-minded folks, can all still really stand behind. Hmm. And he was still a piece of shit. Hmm. Uh, and I think that's important to to sort of recognize that those two things are possible. Um, yeah, it seems like you know he was a great political and uh, mind and and especially when it came to the law as well but you could right. have that talent but also be a shitty person right exactly um and he was a smart you know he had, he was a, a great inventor he invented a lot of things he was like a, a total weirdo also i mean and i think that's sort of part of the the charm and the draw of jefferson also is that he's he just you know his his insane amount of privilege just gave him this like freedom to just think and all of this free time so he just made shit he just did chemistry experiments and like you know and and shipped things over from france that he you know macaroni and cheese we eat macaroni and cheese because of thomas jefferson that's mm. that's a thing. Like, <laughs> uh uh yeah i mean so that there are you know but but yeah obviously his his um his owning of slaves and his like uh, inability to, despite his like romantic relationships with Sally Hemings, which are super well documented, his like inability, inability to reconcile that with the fact that he was owning these people is, is unforgivable. And we, we should have no way to really conceive that that's okay. Hmm. But, uh, he's still a, a, you know, a smart guy. Um, and we can use a lot of the things that he created. Well, sure. You know, I, I think, um, uh, th that's essentially, you know, I think the takeaway from from any significant part of history, you know, the thing is that at no point in history are, are even when we're at our most well intentioned, you know, are we doing anything perfectly, you right. know, uh, so I think it's it's best to just kind of take away from that with hindsight, the 
better things that did come out of a certain situation, or at least, you know, the, the, the opportunities to learn from, um, the mistakes that were made and, uh, just try to move on uh, as best that you can, knowing that even, you know, with your best intentions, you're probably not doing everything 100% correctly too. Right. Exactly. And I think, um, w- one of my favorite things about this show is that it presents all of these, uh, all of the, the founding fathers and mothers as flawed, as, as real people, as opposed to, you know, we don't, we don't hear this story about George Washington chopping down a cherry tree and never lying and stuff in, in our show, which is also not true, but, yeah. the, uh, <laughs> but you know, beyond that, like, that's not the, that's not who these people were. And it actually like has always made it impossible for me to care about them. Um, because you know, nobody's perfect yeah. and, and we can't. And so, you know, I like that we don't have to ignore the fact that, that Thomas Jefferson owned slaves, um, which we do so or I did so I was told to so much of the time when I was learning about who Thomas Jefferson was right because that hmm. actually stopped me from from learning anything interesting about him <laughs> <coughs> um while uh hmm. it, that, that's just an interesting point of view because it seems like you know it's 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 really an opportunity to uh truly learn something about the founding fathers as opposed to just kind of, you know, looking at this fake grand, uh, perfect sort of painting of them, um, from the point of view of somebody who, uh, whether they're white, brown, black, whatever, uh, they know that, you know, the narrative is bullshit, uh, right. from the go. Um, it, it seems like, you know, the, the, the production is taking a much more reasonable, pro- reasonable approach to, history as opposed to, you know, it's either grand, it's perfect, uh, you know, we can't question the founding fathers, or, um, you know, the other point of view, the on, on the other side of that, you know, the, the polar opposite of that is uh, anybody who looks at anyone a thousand years ago and says, those people were barbarians, you know, essentially. Right, right, uh, right. You know, whereas it's only a matter of time before there's a future society that looks upon the society that you lived in. It's like, wow, you know, everything was so fucked up that back then. How did they even live? Right, right, right. I mean, we can look at so many things that we're doing right now and say that even, even in our oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I imagine they could then too. I mean, that's, you know, the, that's the thing about it, right? Like history is all about who tells, who tells the story. So, yes. Um, okay. You know, that's actually a really amazing point to, uh, I think to to leave this on um, before I totally let you go because I know you're a very busy person. Um, uh, what are your plans right now uh, that you have uh, uh, or ambitions uh, as far as music goes? Or you know, are you just like sinking your teeth into uh, uh, theater and acting right now? No, man, we've been making so much music. I actually, Bill and Jonathan were just here. They just spent a week out here. Wow. Uh, and we recorded a ton of songs. And so, uh, you know, I think Jonathan is doing sort of the rough mixes of those right now to see kind of what shook out and see if there's a direction. A lot of this was was solo stuff for me. Hmm. Um, and then a couple clipping things that we had to finish up. And I, there, there is a, a totally finished clipping project. Uh, I can't give any dates on it yet, but it's it's you know, I can, I can be very hopeful that it will be out this year. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so there's, there's one of those, there's a, there's another one in the works. Um, there's, there's tons of clipping music and there's also a bunch of like 
my own sort of solo stuff that I'm really excited about because I haven't really put anything out since since Small Things to a Giant in 2012. So, yeah, and uh, how um, has your music sort of uh, per you know your solo stuff has that progressed in any way significantly since that last album? Like, are you going for any different sounds? Or are you taking some risks or any of the ideas or concepts that you sort of have explored through the last few clipping records, kind of bleeding into this new solo record? I think so. I mean, like I said, I'm still waiting for the songs to shake down to figure like what would constitute a full length project. So mm. I might just end up leaking songs that don't fit into that as, anyway, because I don't I don't really know what that is yet. Um, but I do think um, I mean, I think the music's better. I think, you know, working with clipping has given me a fair a, like a higher amount of quality control sort of, uh, which is which is good. But also, you know, um, I still write about Oakland all the time, but I think I'm I'm in a different place now. So there's a lot of it's I don't know. The stuff so far has been a little bit angrier, a little like more distrustful. Um, I think maybe because I'm in this position where like all of a sudden people are who I don't know are trying to talk to me all the time, uh, and like you know this rap music is a thing that I've been doing for so so long and nobody cared. And uh, <laughs> I get it. You're on your Drake, you're on your Drake shit now. I'm on my Drake shit now. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm super on my Drake shit. It's really like no new a friends. Lot of like it's a lot of no new friends. It's a lot of like lonely, like sad songs. <laughs> a lot of like sort of singing. Um, <laughs> 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 no, I mean there, you know, but I, I still ultimately like, like I said, like my my real era is like the hyphy era. So I'm still like I'm still looking for whatever the modern version of that is, right? Um, so I think the stuff sounds probably clubbier than than one would expect it to sound if you knew me, but uh, <laughs> but that's just where I've sort of always been at. Um, but I think I don't know. I'm excited about it. It's the, there's uh, I'm excited about the writing. I think I'm a better writer now than I was then, mm. and um, I think I'm working with better producers now than I was then. So it, it, I'm pretty excited to see how it all comes out and to try and put something together or not, or to just start putting songs out because what I what I would like to not do is just sit on them for a bunch of years and then hate them by the time they come out. That would be bad. Uh, this solo release for right now, is it uh, looking at uh, a self-release or are you dealing with a label uh, at the moment? And um, is Clipping still uh, sort of uh, in the works with Sub Pop? Yeah, Clipping, um, this next Clipping project will be on Sub Pop um, and... Yeah, so we're still working with them, and and uh, my solo thing is is looking for a home. I'm talking with with some label folks, uh, but I'm also exploring the options of of putting it out myself. Uh, I'm sort of, and maybe both. I don't know. I'm I'm sort of interested in whatever like gets the music out, and is going to have the greatest reach, but also wait the least amount of time. So I'm navigating those things right now. Okay. All right. My guest on this episode has been David Diggs uh, of not only Clipping, also a solo rapper, artist, singer, songwriter, and uh, of the Hamilton musical as well. Um, where can I direct people to, to just kind of, you know, check you out? Is it, you know, a Twitter page or a solo site or something or? Yeah. Yeah. Twitter, David Diggs, Facebook, David Diggs, Instagram, David Diggs, um, David Diggs.com is 
gonna be redesigned soon right now you can just get small things to a giant there that's the only thing that's there okay but uh we're we're working on on re-upping that into a, a more useful site as well so i guess keep your eyes tuned to that but basically david digs on all the various social media i do have a snapchat i never use it so okay maybe that'll change all right we will, <laughs> we'll link everybody to those social media platforms and i just want to thank you for being on man hey thank you man always a pleasure